0: How many of you um, had a chance, I know it's a tougher reading, we're reading through the whole Bible in a year, and I've been talking about one book after another and giving an overview um, of each book in the Bible, and this week we had two books that kind of go together, uh, 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. So how many of you got a chance to read 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles? Alright, it, it, it was long, am I right? It was, there was a lot there. Um, and as I read through those books, I, I thought I couldn't help but realize that here's this history of all of the kings of uh, the nation of Israel, um, the Jewish people, um, that uh, there tend to be quite the roller coaster, right? You might recall that if you think about it, if you've ever read it before, you might realize, wow, there's, there's this roller coaster going on um, in, in their nation where there there was an evil king or there was a good king. It kind of depended on who the leadership was. So it got me thinking, being an election year and all, (laughs) it got me thinking, if you were running for president, by the way, these are rhetorical questions, all right? (laughs) What would be your campaign promises? If you were running for president, how would you reform this nation? What would be your top priorities? And I'm sure many of you, your mind goes to specific hot button issues as I look around the room. I kind of know you a lot of you. I know what your hot button issues are but 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 what exactly um, would uh, you you put out there as as the most important and that's where first kings and second kings and second chronicles when I read that, I realized that. You have about forty kings that are mentioned in there, and they got a lot of interesting names, all right. But they had an approach to reform the nation of Israel. They had a specific way to do that, and I guarantee you that no politician in America would take these um, steps to reforming the nation, to to um, helping the nation out, as did. These kings that I'm going to mention today, I'm going to focus on five of them. We're going to focus on King Solomon, and King Asa, and King Jehoshaphat, and Hezekiah, and Josiah. All right, Those are our five kings we're going to look at today. And they're all from the, the nation of Judah, as we're going to see the um, nation of Israel split into two. But here's what it would look like in America. I just want to give you a perspective of what was going on in their nation at that time and and, and what it it would look like today if those kings were of America, kings of America, leaders in America. First of all, they would knock down and burn down every religious building that wasn't a Christian church. Can you imagine that happening in America? They would change all the laws that were contrary to the word of God, those real hot topic, right, I mean, hot button issues like abortion and same-sex marriage and, you know, all those issues that are going on right now in our country. They would call together every pastor and teach them how to lead worship correctly. Because as you know, we have all kinds of different styles of churches and, and all kinds of things happening in churches today, but they would call those pastors in and, and show them how to worship um, God correctly, and because there's actually a shortage of pastors and places to meet, they would call for a uh, an offering to be taken, to bring it in to to build those places that needed to be built and to to um, prepare those those pastors um, for for the work that needed to be done. And so there would be a, a, a big offering that would be taken, and then I think this would be the the most u- unique thing is you know how you get that emergency alert text on your phone? You would get that every Sunday morning, all right? And it would say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Get up out of bed and get your butt in church, is what it would say. (laughs) Or something like that, all right? I just can't imagine that happening in America today, all right? I mean, this is not what we would expect. But the kings of Judah did just that in their nation. Um, the people of the nation of Israel went through times where they were not seeking the Lord. And when you don't seek the Lord, it makes you weak. It makes you vulnerable as a nation. And actually, it makes you very divisive. Does that sound familiar with what's happening in our country today? There's division in our country. When they recognized that God made a promise that if they would turn back to him, That things would get better. In fact, the key verse, I know I'm going to share with you a ton of scripture today as we kind of just fly through 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. There's one verse, though, that you can hold on to. You can underline it in your Bible. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, we have free Bibles on that back table. Um, As you walk out, you can have one of those Bibles. That's what they're there for. They were donated for that purpose. But if you would mark that in your Bible, it's 2 Chronicles 7.14. So if you grab Second Chronicles 7.14 and you look at that, and it is um, a, a, a spoken uh, um, by um, Solomon, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And time after time, those kings took God up on that promise and they led their people into doing that they humbled themselves they sought the lord they prayed and they helped their people turn from their wicked ways and put their focus back on god and his ways every king in the new testament or the old testament that was deemed good and not evil cared first and foremost about their relationship to god that was their focus they didn't take that that, that side of the controversial issue um, that the majority believed in so they could get the most votes, because they only cared about one vote, and that was God's vote. That was their primary objective, was to please God. And they knew if they did that, everything else would fall into place. Jesus sums this up for you in Matthew 6:33. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, you might know this verse, you might not, but it's another one that you want to underline, maybe even memorize it. I know my stepbrother is a worship pastor, and this is his favorite verse in the Bible. Matthew six thirty-three. Seek first his kingdom of God, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else falls into place. All these things will be added to you. And just to give you some context of why Jesus said this when he was given the Sermon on the Mount, it was because people were worried. People were anxious. People were stressed. Sound familiar? And he says, just seek the Lord. And I love it because in verse 29, Jesus points out that even Solomon, in all of his glory, which you're going to see today, and all of his glory does not compare to what the Lord can give you if you'll just seek him. Now, here's the reality, my friends we're not going to see reform in this nation like we see in the Bible here in First Kings, Second Kings, and so on. I'm 99.99% sure of it. All right, I taught statistics for many, many years in the public high school, and uh, teaching statistics, you know, you never say you're 100% certain. <laughs> Just kind of a thing. But even though the government won't take these drastic reforms, if you will, I believe that you can, as an individual, I believe that you can as a family, and I believe we can as a church, if we just seek God with all our heart, if we seek him with desperation. And you know what? When you do that, that's when revival begins. That's when revival begins. And I want to experience a revival. I explained to you what a revival is. I've studied it. It begins in a person's heart. It begins in a believer's heart. A revival is a breakout of people having a hunger for God. People wanting to um, seek God. A strange and abnormal, unusual amount of people becoming born-again Christians because the Gospel is shared and truth is heard and hearts are changed and eyes are opened and people believe in Jesus, they repent of their sin, they turn to the Lord and their salvation. Can you imagine if there were baptisms every single sunday here at life of purpose church if there were there were bible studies every day of the week multiple ones because there's this hunger for god they want to know god there's a young man in our church that his name is logan and he is constantly consuming the word of god constantly just sent me text yesterday of of what do you think about this and quoting scripture. I mean, he has a hunger for God. Can you imagine if, if so many people had this hunger that we had to have Bible studies every day and we had multiple services throughout the week worshiping God, wanting people wanting to feel his presence in their life, experience him, and know his, you're going to hear this word today, Shekinah glory. His Shekinah glory. It begins in your heart. And the reason why it begins in your heart is because you are the temple of, of the Holy Spirit. Everything changed when Jesus, the King of Kings, came. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is we would see a revival in this place. I pray, I ask that you make that your prayer too. Pray every day that revival starts with you and you see it around you. How refreshing is it on a hot summer day when you finally get that cool night breeze? Isn't that nice? We need a fresh wind in this place. A movement of the Holy Spirit. How exciting was it last week when we had a baby dedication? A family dedicating a a newborn baby to the Lord. We need to see born again baby Christians. Because that is excitement in the church. Revival begins in you. As we see in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if you... Humble yourself. And you pray, and you seek God's face. Turn from your wicked ways. God will hear from heaven. Forgive your sin. Heal your land. God will start a revival, and I want to experience that. Don't you? Let's pray again. Father, please, please, may your Holy Spirit just move in this place. Move in our hearts in such a way that we just get down on our knees and we pray. We pray and we pray and we pray and we we look for opportunities to share our faith with those around us. That they would see you, that their eyes would be open, that their hearts would know you and believe in you. Father, I want to see that in this place. I want to see that in my family. I want to see that in this church. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Well, we're looking at First and Second Kings and Second Chronicles, kind of as a whole, if you will. Focusing on Kings this week. Next week is you're to read Second Kings, but I'm gonna kind of join in with First Kings because I want to talk about Elijah and Elisha. I mean, how many of you love Elijah and Elisha? You know the two prophets that are in First and Second Kings. If you don't, please come back and hear about them. They they had an amazing ministry. Um, but we're focusing on five kings today, and what's the difference between 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles? The answer is not much. You say, well, why does God repeat himself in the Bible? Why is there repetitive stuff happening? Well, you may have noticed, you may not, but now you will if, once you read it again. But in 2 Chronicles, which is very much like 1 Kings, you have the same kind of history of the kings, but in 2 Chronicles you see a, a uh, bias towards Judah the southern kingdom, Um, and a bias towards, really, the focus is on the temple. And that's why a lot of people believe that the author of 2 Chronicles is Ezra. Because you might recall, Ezra came back after Jerusalem was destroyed, after the temple was destroyed. He came back and rebuilt it. Okay, And we'll see that when we get to Ezra this year. But um, that's why a lot of people believe um, Ezra is the author of that, and that's why in 2 Chronicles you'll see it's really the focus is on the temple. Now I want to refresh your prior knowledge and scaffold to the message. Teachers love it when I talk like that, all right? That's just teacher talk right there. Um, so a little fill in the blanks here, you can answer these, you, you may know or may not. The nation of Israel's first king, the very first king of the nation of Israel was Saul. That's right. But Saul was chosen by the people. And that was the problem. Saul was, uh, did not last long, if you will. Now, God chose the next king. He's known as a man after God's own heart. And his name is David. David. That's right. You got that one. Now, every king that we see in these texts follow after uh, or are measured against, if you will, David. I mean, you'll see that when you read it. It'll, it'll end up with, you know, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord like his father David. Or he didn't do like his father David. After David came his son named Solomon, that's right. And I'm going to talk about him a lot today because, well, 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles talk about him a lot. So we're going to uh, talk about Solomon. Now after Solomon, this is kind of, if you will, um, I I think it's important, like when I study the Old Testament, or I should say when I read the Old Testament for the first time as a Christian, okay, and many of you may have not read the Old Testament, and I've heard so many people say, well, it's boring, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of repetitive, um, I don't understand it. Okay, well, let me just help you with that last one right now. Let me help you understand it, because really, it all kind of is sort of centered around, if you will, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, and um, their, their, their sort of um, walk with God, right, from the very beginning. But, uh, but the, the, all those prophets that you read about, all those books, they all, a lot of that happened really centered on this kind of um, Thing what I'm talking about today, and that is these kings that led them, and um, the nation that started off as a a whole, as you know, you you actually see it quite a bit in the New Testament, they they were um, slaves in Egypt, God led them out of Egypt, right, and he led them to the promised land, and then they had the promised land, and this is actually where they have the promised land with King David, he fought all the wars, but then his son Solomon is the one who really, that's where... The kingdom was at its peak, if you will. It's as big as it gets. And in your program, I have uh, given you an extra thing, something I haven't done in a long time. But in your program, you're going to see on one side is a map of the kingdom divided. And then on the other side of that, and I'll get some more copies if you want, or I'll email it to you, is a list of all of the kings for the divided kingdom it's small, I know, you might have to get out uh, the magnifying glass. But, uh, and all of the prophets that spoke to those kings, I found it to be very good snapshot, if you will, of what we're talking about here, what we're trying to accomplish. Now, here's my overview for you, just so you know. With, after Solomon, there was a division in the kingdom. You say, why was there a division in the kingdom? I mean, Solomon, there was, Israel was huge. An extremely wealthy nation. They had everything going for them. Okay? But there was a division. And it was because Solomon died and his son Rehoboam was meaner than his dad, if you will. All right? And uh, when Rehoboam was mean, uh, there was a guy named Jeroboam. No relation. Okay, Just similar names. Uh, he took ten of the twelve tribes and went north. Where Rehoboam stayed in the south where there was Judah and Benjamin. Now, the southern kingdom is called Judah from now on, and the northern kingdom is called Israel from now on. And that's a bit confusing, I remember, because when I was reading through the Bible, it's like, wait a minute, Israel is Israel. But no, now Israel is the ten northern tribes, okay, in the north. And Judah is the southern, the two tribes. You with me? I didn't lose you, did I? Just give me a, I'm with you. All right, all right, good. Um, now, Jeroboam went north with the ten tribes, and he knew and understood that if the people would want to worship God, they're going to want to go back to the temple that Solomon built. So he set up two golden calves, two places to worship God in the north, and I show, it actually shows you right on that map that I gave you. And um, that was, of course, idolatry, right? They're, they're, they're worshiping false gods. And that was the bad thing. And it's probably why the next 18 kings that followed Jeroboam were evil, right? They didn't, they didn't um, do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So um, key thing to remember, right? Northern Kingdom, Israel. And actually, they would fall to the Assyrian army, the Assyrian nation, in 722 B.C. The Southern Kingdom called Judah, would fall to the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Okay? But in Judah, we had a lot of good kings. And that's where the five kings I want to talk about today. Of course, who's the king of all kings? Jesus, that's right. That's why I call this title King of Kings. Okay? Solomon. I'm going to talk about four things with Solomon. His wisdom, his wealth, his prayer, when he dedicated the temple, and then his downfall. Okay? So let's start with his wisdom. Imagine you're a brand new king, God asks you, you can have anything you want. You're a young man, you can have anything you want. Well, I know if I asked my son, who's 12, or any of his friends, what would you want if you could have anything you want, all right? Well, they would want a YouTube account that had like a million followers or something. I don't know what they would want. But they want power, right? Young men want fame, and they want money, right? Those are the three things that usually men want. Solomon didn't ask for any of those things. He asked for wisdom which really kind of makes me think, like, man, you're already wise, dude. You asked for wisdom <laughs> instead of all those other things. Did you really need it? But he got it, and he got it in a huge way. In fact, the, uh, he says in Second Chronicles uh, 1.10, this is his, his response to God, give me wisdom and knowledge. Why did he want wisdom and knowledge? Well, he understood there was this big, giant kingdom that he was leading, and uh, he says, who can govern this people of yours? I'm just not that smart. Right, and and that's that's a wonderful, that's a humble approach, if you will. Um, I feel that way as a pastor. You know, how can I lead your people? I'm not that smart, right? I'm not that. I need your help, right? So they Solomon asked for help, and God gave him wisdom. And um, his first test comes in 1 Kings 3:16. You might remember the story. If not, I'm going to encourage you to read it. I'm not going to go through the story, but there were two prostitutes that came to the king. And they stood before him. One of them had a baby that had died, and the the mom switched the babies. And there was this big ordeal. And so you read it for yourself, but Solomon figured it out in a pretty cool way. He's a pretty smart guy, all right? He revealed the liar. Solomon is so wise in all kinds of areas. It tells us in 1 Kings 4, he spoke 3,000 proverbs. So if you ever read Proverbs, there's only 31 in the Bible. But he actually spoke 3,000. He gets credit for a lot of those Proverbs in the Bible. Proverbs are little bits of wisdom, if you will. He wrote 1,005 songs. I mean, this guy is so talented, so wise. And I like this part. He spoke of trees, from the cedar that's in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke of beasts and birds and reptiles and fish. Let's just face it. If there were, whatever amount of degrees there are... (laughs) It's a, you could get, Solomon would have them all, okay? He's just that smart, right? And uh, it says people of all nations, all around them, would come just to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom. They were so impressed with him. In fact, there was one particular that came and they mentioned it in the in, in this book. is the Queen of Sheba. Queen of Sheba really wanted to know, like, is this guy for real? And, and it the, the, the text tells us that when they would come to, to find out how wise he was, it was really, um, in some respects, they would come to him with riddles. Like, you know those, those, those riddles? Like, like, you don't understand. Like, how is that possible? Like, for example, i got some examples for you. You know, when you blow in a dog's face, they get freaked out, right? But the minute you go for a car ride, their head's out the window. I don't understand that, all right? Why, why is that? Okay, that's strange. Why is there a, the letter D in the word fridge, but not in refrigerator? I don't understand that. I need Solomon to answer that. If a smurf, ch- if a smurf chokes, what color does it turn? If, if Mary gave birth to Jesus, and Jesus is the Lamb of God. Does that prove Mary had a little lamb? (laughs) So we need Solomon to... I'm glad I saved the best for last, all right? Now, the queen got all of her riddles answered by Solomon. And, And once she was done, she said this in 1 Kings 10, I did not believe the reports until I came, and my own eyes had seen it. Behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. She was easily impressed. Now Solomon didn't just have wisdom, he had wealth. I looked it up. Henry Ford, okay, in today's dollars, was worth $200 billion in the peak of his wealth. Carnegie and Rockefeller were worth about $350 billion. Solomon took in, every year, $40 billion in gold alone. His wealth was well over $2 trillion. He was the wealthiest king ever. Second Chronicles 1.15, the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones. That gives you a perspective. He made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore. It's crazy, his wealth. And with all that wealth, he had it set in his mind, as David, his his father, told him to do, you will build a temple for God. Because at that point, there was a tabernacle, a portable tent that, that had the Ark of the Covenant. right? And that's where Moses met with God. You might recall that in Exodus. Well, there was a temple that was going to be built, and Solomon built it and it took seven years to build it. And the estimated cost today to build a 2,700-square-foot building, $140 billion. They spared no expense to build the temple. With all of the furnishings and everything that happened, $140 billion. One fascinating fact, by the way, about the temple that was built by Solomon it shows the reverence they had for God. If you've ever had construction going on near your house, somebody's building a house next to you, someone's doing a, a, you know, a roof or, or a driveway or anything like that, it's loud and annoying, is it not? All right? You, you just kind of grin and bear it, right? Somebody's working on their house next to you, it's like you hear the saw, the hammer, blah, all that. Well, when they built the temple, it says in 1 Kings 6 7, the house was built. The stone was prepared at the quarry. They, 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 they created, they, they prepared the stone. They cut the stone, um, and neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was built. They shaped that stone in the quarry and they shipped it over. And the construction site at the temple was silent. As a, in, in reverence for the Lord. Amazing. When they brought the ark, this is the best part, when they brought the ark, okay, into the temple, something happened that happened when Moses was in the tabernacle. I read that to you in Exodus 40, verse 34. When the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord filled it. The glory of the Lord filled it with a cloud. Now in 2 Chronicles 5.14, when they finished the temple, the priests could not stand to minister because of this same cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. This cloud was a visible manifestation of God himself on earth. We see it in other places in Scripture, the pillar of fire and smoke leading the people through the desert, the burning bush right that, that, that spoke to Moses, the angel of the Lord that appears throughout. The visible manifestation of the Lord was called the Shekinah glory by the rabbis, the Jewish leaders, the teachers. Shekinah is not in the Bible, but Shekinah means one who dwells. So when you hear Shekinah glory, that is the visible manifestation of God on earth. The cloud filled the temple. And as God fills the tabernacle back then in the temple, our prayer is, is that he would fill It today and when he feels it today he feels it within you because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit Jesus changed that am I right amen that's right so Solomon then prayed dedicated to the temple uh, had a prayer and he knew for centuries to come that his people God's people would turn their back on God when you turn your back on God there's consequences but if you turn back to God he will forgive. He made that promise. Second Chronicles 7:14 If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. This is the key to revival. It has to start within. Now, Solomon's fall. Okay? Unfortunately, it's not a happy ending for Solomon. If you ever read Ecclesiastes, you know he had sort of a jaded view on life at one point, and then Solomon also, this is very interesting, the weight of gold that came into Solomon was, and you'll see this up on the screen, a number you're familiar with. If you've ever read Revelation, the number 666 is a symbol of the Antichrist. And that's how much gold that he took in. Some believe that he's a type of the Antichrist for what um, he did, in the end, and what was the big problem? Well, in Exodus 34, the Israelites were instructed to not take foreign wives, because those wives would turn them to other gods. What happened to Solomon is exactly that. In First Kings 11:3, he had no shortage of wives. <laughs> he had 700, and he had 300 concubines. Those are wives that aren't recognized as wives, all right? Um, and they turned his heart away from God. Sort of a sad ending to a wise and wealthy king. Now, 19 years go by, two evil kings, and now we see King Asa. All right, And his plan to reform the nation of Israel began with 2 Chronicles 14, verse 2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He took away the foreign altar. See, what happened was that people would put up things to worship. False gods, altars, and they would burn incense on on these altars and so on. And he broke them down, and there was one, um, there was particular gods that they worshipped, as you'll see next week, Okay, the Baal worshippers. Okay, Uh, But Ashram is one of them. And they commanded Judah to seek the Lord, King Asa did, the God of their fathers, and keep the law and the commandment. So what did he do? He busted up, he burned down these false churches worshipping false gods. He called on the people to seek the Lord. He didn't put his his faith in a special tax plan or new sword laws. I can't say new gun laws because they didn't have guns back then, all right? So there was no new law. It was just the Lord. Put your focus on the Lord. And this is neat. Even King Asa's mother could not get away with worshiping false gods. Now, you think about it. Even Jesus sped up the timetable a little bit, right, when he turned water into wine. To appease his mother, right? Us, us young, uh, we always we do anything for our mothers, wouldn't we? Right? But here in 2 Chronicles 15, 16, it says that Maka, his mother, King Asa, removed her from being queen mother because she made a detestable image for Asherah. And he cut it down and crushed it and burned it in uh, the brook Kidron. You'll see that a lot in the scripture. Brook Kidron, that's where they took out the trash and burned it. In the brook Kidron. Following Asa came his son Jehoshaphat. It'd be terrible to have that name growing up in the school system, wouldn't it? Jehoshaphat. All right. Sorry, man. Sorry. 2 Chronicles 17:6 says his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord, and he also took the high places and the Ashram out of Judah. Now you wait, wait a minute. Didn't his dad do that? Right? Didn't Asa do that? Well, this is a warning to us. Because those false gods keep creeping back in, in our lives. It's a daily process to say, I am only going to worship you, God. I'm not going to worship my bank account. I'm not going to worship what I can do. I'm going to worship what you can do. Now, one note that Jehoshaphat, um, I think, is important, really important to see, is that when he faced a great enemy, he did what all of us should do when we face trouble or enemies. He prayed. He prayed. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. In our last song today that we're going to sing, you're going to hear these words, and I think this is really, really special. He says in verse 12, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? The enemy was coming. And he admits, we are powerless against this great army that's coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Don't ever forget that. You don't know what to do? I don't know what to do? You don't know what to do? Fix your eyes on God. Our eyes are on you. Many years go by, and then we see Hezekiah. Hezekiah, his first goal for reform. In the first year of his reign, 2 Chronicles 29, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Can you imagine that? Apparently, the temple, this $140 billion project many, many, many years ago was just a heap. It was a piece of junk. He had to repair it. And then he brought in the priests, verse 4, and the Levites and assembled them in the square and said, hear me, Levites, consecrate yourselves, make make yourself holy and make the the house of the Lord holy and then carry out the filth from the holy place. And you know where they took it, right? The Brook Kidron, man, that's the Take out the trash at the Brook Kidron. So here's the deal. First step, repair the temple, make it holy. Second step, prepare the priests, make them holy. Third step, strike up the band. That's what it says in 2 Chronicles 29-25. He stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and harps and lyres, according to the commandment of David. Fourth step, invite everyone to come and worship. Invite everyone to come and worship. In 2 Chronicles 31, uh, Hezekiah sent, and this is important, you might just skip over this and not realize it, but he sent it to all Israel. He's not the king of Israel. He's the king of Judah. But he sent it to all Israel. And he said to them, he wrote letters, come to the house of the Lord. The biggest celebration for the Jewish people is Passover. Come for Passover and celebrate with us. But it says in verses 9, 10, and 11, he tells them, if you return to the Lord, okay, God will have compassion on you. And he sent out the letters, and what happened? They laughed, in verse 10, and scorned and mocked them. Some of those people just said, am not going back to the temple. But some did, verse 11. Some men did take their families back in worship. Fifth step, give faithfully to the Lord's work. Give faithfully. Second Chronicles 31, 4 and 5, he commanded the people who live in Jerusalem to give a portion to the priests so they can do their work. They can do their work. And then he said in verse 5, as soon as the command was spread, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits. They didn't give what they had left at the end of the month. They gave first fruits. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything so that they could do this work. And the sixth step, the last step, pray continually. Pray continually. I like this because Hezekiah also faced an enemy. It was the Assyrians. The Assyrians had already taken captive the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. Wiped out. They were, they were gone. But now they're coming after Judah. And he says... Um, the, the the king was name was Sancherib, king of Assyria, and he, he um, basically camped next to them. They were ready to, to take over. And King Hezekiah says in Second Chronicles thirty two eight that king with that king is an arm of flesh, meaning we can't take that army. They're they're going to wipe us out. But he says with us with us is the Lord our God to help us fight our battles. And the people took confidence in the words of Hezekiah. And then in verse 20, it says the king and, and uh, King Hezekiah prayed with somebody you're familiar with Isaiah. When we get to Isaiah, okay, we're going to see, you might be familiar with Isaiah 6, right? And, um, but anyway, um, Hezekiah and the ki- uh, is the king, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed because of this, and they cried to heaven. And um, when they prayed, the Lord sent an angel and wiped out the Assyrian army. Wiped them out. Struck them down with the sword. Final thing that I bring to your attention about Hezekiah, a warning so we don't make the same mistake. In verse 25, Hezekiah did not uh, make return according to the benefit done to him, because his heart was proud. And then wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. What's that saying? Pride comes before the... Fall. That's right. So don't let pride mess up your walk with God. That's the warning for us. In that. Lastly, King Josiah. All right. I told you there's a lot to cover here. I, I, I'm glad you're you're sticking with me. Okay. I know it's 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 um it's a lot, but King Josiah. All right. I mentioned him actually back when we covered Jeremiah. You may um, have heard that message and remember this. Um, but Josiah. You'll see why in a second. Josiah followed a lot of evil kings. The temple was a mess again. And he instructed his leaders to find out, okay, we're going to repair the house of the Lord, we're going to repair this temple, but let's find out how much money we got to do it. So he sent to find out how much money they had in the temple. And in verse 14 of chapter 34, they brought out the money, and they brought it into the house of the Lord, and Hilkiah, the priest, who's Hilkiah? He relates to Jeremiah. If you remember, it's Jeremiah's father. Jeremiah's father was Hilkiah. And he brought out the book of the law because when he was in there looking for the money, he stumbled upon the book of the Lord. The, 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 the Moses, the, the Pentateuch, he found that. Can you imagine that? That's how bad it got. They couldn't find a Bible! <laughs> and he found it. And he gave it to Josiah. And Josiah read it, and, he, and, he, and it was read to him. And it says in verse 19, The words of the law really ripped into his heart. He tore his clothes, which is a way of showing he's repenting. And the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king stood in the place, verse 31, and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and keep his commandments. And um, then he did something that is noted as um, sparing no expense for the Passover. It's in verse 18 says, no Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. That goes way back to when Saul and King David were in, uh, in office there. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah did, um, and the priests and Levites and all Judah and Israel were present in the heavens of Jerusalem. So, in summary, do you see what these kings did to reform their nation? You see what their focus was. It was on God. They got their heart right. They called on God's people to get their heart right. And when they did, God blessed them. God was found back then in the temple, a building. But when Jesus came, he changed everything. and He baptized the church with the Holy Spirit. Did he not? That's what we see in Scripture. And you will find... You will find God when you seek him with all your heart. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. Will you seek God with all your heart? Will you humble yourself? Will you repent of your sins and pray for God to bring a revival? I would much rather hear that there are revival outbreaks in this town and that town, in this state and that state, than COVID outbreaks. Would you not? That would be much better news than anything else. So I'm praying for a revival It does begin with us. It begins with you. If you will humble yourself and pray and seek God's face and turn from your wicked ways, God will hear from heaven. He will forgive your sin and he will heal your land.